All, All right. right. Well, it's been a while. Thought that was your line, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a while. There we go. <laughs> and we've promised the people Wesleyan theology, which is somewhat unfortunate because I would actually like to just talk about life and catch up on, especially Daniel being a new parent. But I guess I'll hey, have to wait. When did we promise the people? I don't remember that. At the end of our last episode. Oh, okay. Yep. I see. Well, I'll be writing down all my new parent thoughts so that they're fresh for next episode, I guess. Good, yes. And Riley and I are about to head to Scotland, so maybe we can talk about that as well on the next one. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. And Mom and Dad are on there. Man, all kinds of exciting things happening. I know. That's right. I really want to travel someplace. Someplace? Just anywhere? Pretty much, yeah. Anywhere (laughs) that I haven't already been. (laughs) You want to visit somewhere new? Yeah. What's the top of your list? Well, Yejin and I have been talking for a while about like on the way to or from America doing just a couple days stop some somewhere. Oh, that's a fun idea. Um and right now on my mind is Prague, Czech Republic. Hmm. The reason being simply because I was preparing f- to cover Czech Republic for geography for my English class. Um, uh. <laughs> whereas like uh, if you had asked me this a month ago or a little longer even, I was uh, researching a little bit um, about Vienna and Austria, and that probably would have been my answer. But now, right now, my answer is Prague. But it's hard to know, um, you know, winter, mm. having a little baby, five-month-old baby with us, mm-hmm. just a couple days. But I think no matter, like, no matter where, if we take three days, let's say, it's enough time to see some really nice stuff and enough time to also think I wish we had you know, more time to see more things. Yeah, I yeah. think it's worth it. I mean, even we did, you know, when we were in, did London for a few days, we did that like 24 hour, not less than 24 hour trip to Paris, one day trip to Paris. Okay. Like that's so little time to try to see Paris, but we're really like grateful we did it because we still got to see a lot of awesome Some things, stuff. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I tend to kind of bulk a little bit at like rome and paris and these places that i just to my mind is just going to be like swarming i you know late january probably not so crowded no matter where we go but sometimes like those really famous places i'm just like i don't know it's going to be so like packed Mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see if we actually do it all right let's jump into it so we stopped last time with wesley uh being saved by the oh and we talked a little bit about how he had a bad marriage <laughs> and, and his death we talked about his death <laughs> <laughs> yes, we yeah we covered, oh. we covered the whole life oh okay okay yeah he had a good long life and we touched on a little bit of his theology but yeah. i figured in this one where we flesh it out a little bit perhaps the easiest way to do this would be to go through the order of salvation I propose this because primarily because this was our final exam was going through the order of salvation and fleshing out Wesley's thoughts on the different steps in the process of a Christian life. So does that sound good to do that? Sure. So by order of salvation, do you mean Wesley had a... I mean the ordo salutis. Oh. Very helpful. So So Wesley had kind of a not patented but like a standard idea of these are the steps you should look for in order to consider someone truly saved uh it's not just wesley that talks about the order of salvation it's kind of like a theological 
construct that talks about okay. like, the the general process people go through in their life mm. with the Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not just to the point of what we would call most often what we call salvation. The- theologically, yeah. you would call justification. So maybe an uh, analogous mindset or analogous term to this might be that people talk about the stages of grief. Yeah. This would be kind of like that. Yes, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and actually, very similarly, the stages of grief, people are going to say this is generally how it works, but sometimes it's a little bit, sometimes it's different. Sometimes people like skip stages around a little bit and it's like in, in practical life, which is called mm-hmm. the, the, so Paul used the Latin term, the ordo salutis, which, you know, theologians like to use Latin terms. <laughs> then they also use the term the via salutis, which is the mm-hmm. way of salvation. And so that's like the practical, like individual, this is how each person experienced it differently, kind of. But right. order, order salutis gives us like a structure. Okay. And before we uh, before we cover what that order or what those steps are, um, I just wanted to check with you two. Do you guys feel that these are pretty accurate and broadly applicable, pretty consistent with what you've seen? Well, it, I'm going to have to hear um, the way that we've got it laid out this time. <laughs> the Wesley's way. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't have like uh, specific Wesley and order salutis like memorized. Okay. I'll ask this question again later. We can just okay. save this. But I will say okay. going into wait, 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 wait. Here, here's what I'll say. I definitely consider myself like Wesleyan in my theology, pretty pretty strongly. Um, but there are some things that, as far as what Wesley actually taught, that are still at like question marks. Hmm. Hmm. So I actually got to teach this to the uh, youth interns in the fire class down in Alabama that Joel does with his students. And one of the things I was telling them when I started this is just answering the question, like, why does this matter? Why is this important? Like two two things jumped to mind for me as why we should talk about this. The first is just in importance of knowing the terms and knowing what words actually mean. And so as Christians and theologians, Um, It's important for us that when we're reading the Bible and we come across like in Galatians 2.16, it talks about being justified. Um, I'll read that real quick. Uh, Galatians 2.16 NIV says, Know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put on faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Um, So when you read a passage like that or a passage about glorification, it's important that we have a robust understanding of these terms so we actually know what Paul and the Bible is talking about. So that was the first thing I laid out. And then the second one I just said as, as ministers and as we try to help other Christians, having, like we said, like a guide of salvation can really be helpful for Um, us knowing like where somebody is in their walk with God and how we can help them get to the next step or get where they need to be. Um, So when you have an idea of the general order of of a Christian life, uh, then it's an aid for you to help people on their journey as they progress as a Christian. Yeah, it's kind of like a diagnostic tool a little bit. Yeah, so those are the two main uh, things that jumped in my mind is why this is important. Great. Good. Good. Okay. Good. I think I froze for a minute there, but I'm but I'm here. Welcome back. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> um, and I'll go ahead and say, which I'm sure this will come up as we go along, 
But for a lot of people, they think of salvation as just like the moment where somebody gives their life to Jesus, becomes Mm. Christian. And so Wesley and other theologians, but we're talking about Wesley today. So um, Wesley really has a much broader definition of salvation. It's talking about the entire process of God's work in an individual's life to bring them Mm -hmm. not only to the point of um, being saved uh, or like right with God, which is like justification, but also the process of making them like Jesus and Mm -hmm. uh, bringing them to that point of glorification. It's like that whole process. He is like salvation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, which I think is really important in a practical sense because a lot of us are familiar with church traditions or services or whatever that really seem like it's just the only emphasis is that decision of giving your life to Jesus. And that's like the complete culmination yeah. of the Christian life. And mm-hmm. so the fact that that's like one step in Wesleyan's order of salvation, Wesley's order of salvation, mm-hmm. gives you like a fuller picture of like what God's doing, that there's a lot more to to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can already see why that's really important too, because one thing I'm used to is the concept of you don't have to worry about all the details. Like obviously we don't expect people to clean their life up before they come to Jesus, right? That's kind of a one of these things that you hear sometimes is like you don't have like some people think, well, I I'm like not good enough to go to church or I'm whatever. Uh, and the idea is that Jesus calls the the sekunita doctor, the people who are not right with God are the ones who need him the most and who, and then after you accept him, that transformation starts to happen. But I've thought before this kind of all are welcome, like God wants to meet you where you are and change you. But then if suddenly he's like, okay, now you're a Christian. Now here's like all the fine print, you know, you can't be Mm. like this. You shouldn't do this. You need to do this. All these things that, uh, I, I don't know. I just thought that's not a very good approach and we should have some, I guess, patience for the Holy Spirit to work and transform them. And also maybe on the front side too, for them to be aware of the cost. Yeah. Like they're welcome to be in fellowship with Christians coming to church or, you know, friendship or whatever, mm-hmm. even if they're not living according to Christian standards, mm-hmm. but they should know that that is going to be expected to change if they come to the point of, mm making that decision. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like it's kind of like people are yeah. just so focused on the, all you have to do is believe and you'll be saved. Just profess with your mouth and confess, wait, confess with your mouth and confess with your heart. Wait, what is it? <laughs> believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Yes. 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 <laughs> I don't know. It just seems I can see how there, there may be situations out there where then mm-hmm. it's suddenly like you said, that's all I had to do. And now you're getting on to me for, I don't know, talking this way or for living this way or doing these things. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't like part of the bargain or part of the deal at the beginning. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I can already see why this is, why this is very important to have um, a more progressive mindset Mm -hmm. of how transformation takes place. Yeah. You are getting ahead, but I think it's good. And so let me continue to be ahead with you. Um, (laughs) Because I, you know, I do a lot of talk with students, especially who are like giving life to the Lord, especially the last week at the youth conference. And I, you know, there's like that balance of like being eager to see people receive Christ um, Mm -hmm. when they're ready, but also not like, like coercing people or like being so focused on like the sale, right? To use like a very negative term. Um, (laughs) 
yeah. that that you're not being honest. And so I always really emphasize with people, like, what is repentance? Like, you have to turn from your sins. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. what does Jesus's lordship look like? And um, like stepping off the throne of your life. Those are the two things I emphasize. I'm like, are, are you, I always ask people, like, are those, are you willing to do that? Like, do you need more time to think about that? Um, or are you ready to do that right now? Because you can do it right now if you want to. That's what I, you know, mm-hmm. I say, I'd be, I'd be love to pray with you right now. But I want to be sure you're understanding and you're like ready. Yeah. So. Well, and that's why I think that so many of us have testimonies where it's like, oh, I went to a camp, I went to a retreat, I went to a conference, and I went down to the altar, you know, to say the prayer, and I did that again and again. And it didn't really stick. I think that story happens because it's not just saying the right, the magic words. It's actually a life change. And it actually has to be, like Joel said, an an acknowledgement of allowing Jesus to be Lord in your life. And then he actually has to come in and create that change. Yeah. And if you're just going through the motions and and Jesus doesn't actually step in and change your heart, then there's not going to be any change. Yeah. Which continue to stay off topic for just one minute and then we'll actually get to it. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, but last week at youth group, we did like testimonies from our youth conference. Mm. And I was very encouraged by the language the students were using about like getting right with God. Mm. Um, there were several students that I wasn't aware had like given their life to Jesus, but the language they used was not, which there's not anything necessarily wrong with this language, but they didn't say like, I invited Jesus into my heart. Or I like prayed to accept Jesus, but they mm. all use terms like, like I gave myself over to Jesus or I mm. gave myself up mm. for Jesus. Mm. Um, I surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus, like stuff mm. like that, like very much like I'm giving my whole self over. Like I gave in, I gave up those, those kind yeah. of languages. I'm like, that's a really good language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I was really encouraged by that. The Wesleyan Ordo Salutis is not only concerned with how one becomes a Christian, but also how one remains a Christian. So that pertains to what Joel is saying about how it's this whole process of the Christian life. Uh, Wesley recognized God's grace from creation to glorification and every point in between. Uh, So it's really this full picture of the human life. And so as we jump into it, I actually want to start with creation as our initial starting place. So basically, like before we even get to the individual's life. Yeah, the individual's life. Like, where are we as humanity to be able to respond to God? And that begins with what we see, what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. And so the key aspect of this is that we were created in the image of God. So if somebody happens to be taking notes while they're driving and listening to this, number one, while they're driving, <laughs> created in the image of God. I thought we've officially come out against that. Oh, have uh, we? Taking notes while driving? No, 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 don't take notes. <laughs> Listen while driving. <laughs> I thought we've come out against taking notes while driving. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. Well, if we haven't, we can do that now. Okay. Um, okay, so image of God, Imago Dei. This is, you know, a huge theological topic that we could talk and talk about what it means to be created in the image of God. But for Wesley, he specifically outlines three aspects. So he talks about what he calls the natural image, which is our liberty, understanding, and will. 
Then he talks about the political image. He uses that word to mean how humanity relates to the rest of creation. And then he talks about liberty. Oh, look, Daniel's taking notes while recording. Yeah, I'm going. What is it? Political? Yeah, Yeah, political political image. This is the second one. Okay, which is what? Which is how we relate and govern the rest of creation. In other words, we were created as like the rulers of creation or to to have dominion. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. right. Are there more? He says humanity is a conduit of God's blessing for the rest of creation. And then the third one, the third one is the moral image, which is righteousness and true holiness. And it's this that makes us capable of knowing, loving, and obeying God. To love, know, and obey. Yeah, because there's no other way. (laughs) That's trust. (laughs) (laughs) Wesley lays it out that at the fall, the natural and political images, so those aspects are marred. But the moral image is completely destroyed. And so that ability to know, love, and obey God is shattered at the fall, is what Wesley would say. Yeah, so here's why. Let me maybe uh, just reiterate, okay? Yeah. So basically talking about what does it look like to be created in the image of God? How are we intended to be? And then that'll be important because we're talking about what happens when sin enters the world. Um, Because obviously when we're talking about God's work in an individual's life, it's about removal of the effects of sin and restoration. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at, okay, how were we originally designed to be? And then how was that affected when sin entered the world and the fall happened? That's what's going to need to be addressed by Christ so that we can restore what happened by the fall and the effects of sin. Right. So that's why that's important to, to like lay out the, the way that sin corrupted or marred uh, humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense, Daniel? Yes. Well, I was still kind of on, the, I was still kind of looking at what, how one and two were marred and the last was, what removed damaged taken Shattered. broken okay because we have no real righteousness or truth or holiness mm-hmm. okay kind of as i've i think i've conceptualized it before as the two different versions of natural natural as in like the original as designed mm-hmm. and natural as in the de facto situation of a naturally sinful fallen world yes those are two totally different concepts of what's natural or yes. unnatural. Yes. That's mm-hmm. a good point. So like when people use the term natural, sometimes they're just saying like, this is how it is normally, which would be like our sinful state. Right. Like we're just naturally sinful. But when we use the word natural as in- Yeah, our, we're naturally like, like competitive or jealous or whatever. Yeah. But then when we use the term to talk about like our original state, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. our original nature, then that's going to be a very different thing because it's before sin entered the world. This comes from Wesley's sermon, The New Birth, is the title of it. Sermon 45, if anyone's interested. And Oh, they're all numbered. That's interesting. So he's looking at John 3, 7, you must be born again. So he's saying, why must we be born again? So then he looks back at how we were made, what happened in the fall, and then what needs to happen because of that. Good. So this leads us to the post-fall state. Wesley points to Genesis 6, 5 as his key text in this section uh, that says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every imagination and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Um, And so he has a sermon where he 
looks at that, looks at what that means in that state of humanity. Um, the theological term would be total depravity, a state of total depravity. And so this is where the first really key Wesleyan distinctive theological term comes in, which is prevenient grace. Prevenient meaning like anticipatory? Yeah, or usually like just as prepared. Yeah, the grace that goes before salvation. Okay. So mm-hmm. the yeah, the important part of this is that with prevenient grace, the concept of God working across the world, obviously God's already given Jesus for us before we were born. Like he's already made a way for us to become right. Hmm. And God's working in people's lives before they become Christians, like drawing them to himself. Okay, this is all like prevenient grace. And hmm. so this is important because it allows it allows us to see how people can respond to God's grace without it being of themselves mm-hmm. right? without compromising the depravity yes. aspect yeah mm-hmm. cuz it's not in ourselves that we're able to say like oh i need god or oh i i want god that like in our depravity then we wouldn't want god or be able to see even like our real need mm. but it, that's so like, it's like divinely revealed yes so for example when our great grandfather was converted and went to Asbury University to become a pastor, that would be an example of God's prevenient grace in our lives. Uh, Because even through that work he was doing before any of us were born, it played into us being able to choose God and come into a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's a very interesting personal way to look at it. Mm-hmm. And like all the people praying for others before they're saved. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we're participating in God's prevenient grace in the lives of others as we, as we pray for them to become saved. And this is, I think, really important theologically because it allows us to be able to call good, as Dr. Collins would say, it allows us to be able to call good, good and bad, bad. When we see non-Christians doing really good things, we're able to say like, yeah, like there's prevenient grace in their life. Like hmm. that is truly good what they're doing, even though uh, they're a corrupt person. And if you have this idea of total depravity without prevenient grace, it's really hard to say that somebody apart from God can do anything good at all. So moving on from prevenient grace, we come to Well, this is still kind of underneath prevenient grace, but it's a subcategory, and that would be convicting grace or convincing grace. So to use Wesley's words, he says, through preaching the law and ministry of the Holy Spirit, people are convicted of their guilt before God. The Holy Spirit must take active role due to the sin's doling effects on the spiritual senses. And so this is when the Holy Spirit reveals to us, essentially reveals to us our need for God and our need for a Savior. And a lot of people's conversion stories or testimonies have that that moment is pretty uh, key. Yeah, key. Where they're like, just like overcome or like very aware of their own sin and how like wicked they are, far from God and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's God's, again, that's God's work. That's not based on our own like enlightenment, except for God doing it. Yep. You know, often when people come up to the altar or I'm talking to somebody who's 
ready to give their life to Jesus or is trying to respond to God in some way, um, I think it's important to point out the prevenient grace of God in their life. And so often I'll say things along the lines of, um, like God's been working in your life to draw you. He's been revealing himself to you and you've been feeling that like pull from God to respond to him. And um, people can identify with that because um, most people are kind of aware of that, mm-hmm. especially at the point when they're ready to come up to the front of to the altar. They're like aware that God's been doing those kind of things in their lives. So mm. I think pointing that out to people and like letting them know, okay, all that like this has been God. Like God has been the one who's been working to like um, draw me. Yeah, it's good. And so that then brings us to repentance, which is the next step, which Wesley calls the porch of religion. So in this repentance, it is uh, could be described as a concern with actual sin and a deliverance from that sin. And we often will describe repentance as, you know, 180 degree turn, change in lifestyle. It, I don't know actually necessarily if this is unique to Wesley, but this was new to me, but he talks about kind of the step after or a part of repentance as being what he calls works suitable for repentance. Um, And so that's like action steps that someone can actually take when they come to this place of wanting to be free from the sin in their life. The three steps that he would recommend for people that are wanting to repent and be free is to, number one, uh, cease from doing evil. Number two, do good. Good good number one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Number two, do good. And number three, use the means of grace. Use the means of grace? Right. Which Use the means. Which means of grace we discussed a little bit in our uh, rule of life episode. You know, prayer, Bible reading, fellowship, communion. And so, yeah, remember how in uh, when we were going through Wesley's story, we talked about when he was uh, talking to Peter Bowler about saving faith, he told him, preach faith until you have it, and then preach it because you have it. This pertains to that a little bit. Like, you can desire repentance and salvation and not necessarily, like, feel different or, like, feel the change. Um, like the, the means of grace is essentially like positioning your life in a way that God can meet you. Yeah. Hmm. Right. That's back in episode 16. You're talking about. That's right. As Dr. Ward says, stay under the spout where the grace pours out. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Okay. So justification, this is one of the, the biggest, you know, the first like, well, I would say prevenient grace is super important. And then justification is also a very important one to get. Yeah. Repentance um, not so important. <laughs> okay. They're all important. Justification, Wesley describes as what God does for us. This is a relative change. He's changed the way that we relate to sin. And this is based on what great theological doctrine? Uh, Substitutionary atonement? Yeah, atonement. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) So it's based on the atoning work of Christ. And for Wesley, justification simply means pardon, the forgiveness of past sins. 
And the result of justification is liberation from the guilt of sin. Right. So this is another huge takeaway that I got from Wesley is he parses out aspects of sin. He talks about our guilt from sin. He talks about the power of sin. And then he talks about the being of sin or the sin nature. And so just this first part, justification, deals with the guilt of sin and our relation to the whole, to a holy God. Right, so this is going to be like really legal, the legal terms of our sin has given us a debt or a guilt which we owe, and we have to like pay the penalty of our sins. Yeah. And that has been paid by Christ. And so when we receive Christ's work on the cross, then we are forgiven in that in that way. We are um the the our guilt of sin is is done away with. Mm-hmm. Wesley taught sola fide his entire career, which means faith alone. Yeah, faith alone. This comes yeah. using some more Latin. Is a, is a mm-hmm. gift so, of sola? God. Sola? Uh, yeah, sola fide. Sola fide. Sola fide. This justification is a gift of God that we receive by um, grace through faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what does this do in us? We talked about justification is the work God does for us. So now the next thing, regeneration or new birth, those mean the same thing, is what God does in us. So then the justification is the, like what sparks the regeneration. The justification is is a non-measurable point like it doesn't take an amount of time it's something that is like a crossover and then begins the process of justification no of uh regeneration exactly and yeah wesley would say these things happen at the same time but they're distinctly different these two Mm -hmm. so there's like conviction or grace is a is a a period it takes some amount of time let's say Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. regeneration takes some amount of time i suppose but justification is is a point that crosses between those. There's not really a, an amount of time taking. Yeah, well, he would say regeneration also is... Instantaneous. Instantaneous. Oh, okay. All right, let's hear it. For example, so he uses the analogy here mostly. He talks about birth. So we get this from John 3 and Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, where Jesus talks about you must be born again. And so Wesley compares this in his sermons to natural birth. You wouldn't say that someone is mostly born or partly born. They're either unborn or they're born. In our lives, like justification and regeneration occurs, and then that starts the process of sanctification, which in in the metaphor, we're a baby, and then we start to grow in our life as humans. So in Christianity, we experience new birth, and that could also be called initial sanctification. And then we grow in our sanctification process. So it's the beginning of our life as a Christian. Does that make sense? Yeah, I feel like we should make some kind of joke about being mostly dead. (laughs) Mostly dead, yeah. We'll get there, actually. You can't be mostly born, but you can be mostly dead. (laughs) Okay, okay. Well, we'll get there, I guess. So I said that... uh, Justification is a relative change. Regeneration is a qualitative change. This is a real change that occurs in our lives. And 
the result of regeneration then is freedom from the power of sin. So we talked about justification being freedom from the guilt of sin. Now regeneration is freedom from the power of sin. So that means basically, like we we would say, sin doesn't have power over you anymore. Like you don't have to sin. That's right. Right. So like what dad always says is that most of us experience freedom from willful sin when we, from most willful sin, when we become a Christian. Mm-hmm. Now, dad also talks about like strongholds and struggles. They take longer. And Wesley does too. Um, but most of the time when you become a Christian, then your heart changes in a way that you no longer desire uh, to continually live contrary to what mm-hmm. God wants you to do all the time. Mm-hmm. So then when it comes to reacting to things wrongly, like, I don't know, jealousy, anger, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. is that not considered a willful sin, more of a bad habit? Yeah, or like a habitual sin or something like that. Mm-hmm. So there is this aspect, this third aspect we talked about, which is like the being of sin or the sin nature. Right. The way that Wesley says it, to use his words, is that sin remains, but it does not reign. So our Lord now is Jesus. Like Jesus reigns in our life. Um, Sin remains. But now like when we're jealous or when we're angry, there should be immediate conviction. We should be aware that like that's not how we should be acting. Whereas for many people before they're saved, like they're okay with their sin um, because it's a part of them. Whereas for us being born again and children of God, we should all have like a conviction. When like our reaction is something that we regret. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that goes into a little bit of what the next step that Wesley outlines is, which is assurance. So we talked about this a little bit last episode too. Wait, so we're, this is after, did I miss one after regeneration? Nope. Okay. So this is a divine evidence communicated supernaturally that one is a child of God. Uh, this comes from several places, but the probably the most clear verse is Romans, uh, I want to say like 8, 12, maybe. Somebody look that up real quick. Uh, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to it. Nope. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. This is the next verse. Then 14. Nope. For you who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit himself testifies there it our is. Spirit that we are God's children. Okay. So 16. 16? Okay. 8.16, yeah. All right. Okay, Romans 8.16. Can you read that one more time, Daniel? Okay, uh, NIV says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right, so that's this work of the Spirit in our lives, letting us know that we're God's children. Yeah. Which, uh, obviously, like we talked about in the Wesley Life episode, uh, was a big deal for him. He didn't, like, have that assurance mm-hmm. that he was saved. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I would say, like, practically... Uh, these three steps often happen at the same time where people are justified, they have new birth, and they have an assurance. Mm -hmm. But sometimes Mm -hmm. assurance takes longer for people. Sometimes people give their life to Jesus, but then they struggle like, am I actually saved? Am I actually saved? And so that like assurance step can take time in people's lives. Yeah, that was definitely the case for me. I don't know if that's more common with like 
childhood conversions or if it was just me, but <laughs> I relate to that. Yeah. And then there comes a point where you just have that assurance, right? You just like, mm-hmm. God has let you know that you're right with him, that you're actually his child or whatever. And he points to both the inward witness that we're talking about, that the Holy Spirit gives to our spirit, that we're a child of God. Um, but he considers this a joint testimony. So the other aspect is the outward fruit. Um, so, so this is what you should be able to actually see in other people that have been born again, is there should be an outward change and they should be producing fruit and living for God. So that also has to do with uh, assurance. Great. All right, so that leads us to sanctifying grace. So this is, you can think of this um, similar to like prevenient grace on the front end of coming to know God. Now this is sanctifying grace that is God's grace and helping us become more mature in our relationship with him as we grow as Christians. So sanctify is just means to like become holy, to become pure. Mm-hmm. So that's a theological term that we will use a lot. Uh, Wesley uses that term primarily when he's talking about the way that we grow as Christians and become yep. like Jesus. It's a sanctification. So a few things Wesley specifically says, he says this sanctifying grace unites faith and works. Good. It's what empowers us to begin to live the life that pleases God. And it involves conviction of inbred sin, the sin that remains but does not reign. So where we said like initial repentance is that conviction of your outward sin. Now God is giving us a conviction of our inward sin. Like Daniel said, like our our anger and jealousy and those deep rooted issues that are still contrary to the will of God. Like Zechariah 13, 9. Hmm. And I will put them into the, well, this is talking about a specific group, but I'll put them into the fire and refine them as one refined silver, test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people and they will say the Lord is my God. Nice. Hmm. Yeah, refining good. grace. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to include that. I just was, I, it just made me think of that refining concept. Um mm-hmm. Carry on. So this leads then to what Wesley calls subsequent repentance. So so, we're back to repentance. Wait, so we were on sanctifying grace. That's right. Yes. Okay. Which is that refining, that uh, deep dealing with the deeper, more um, subconscious, sinful Mm -hmm. inclinations Mm -hmm. and traits. Now we're back, we're on a second level of repentance, which is what was it again? Yeah, exactly. So uh, a, a subsequent repentance. So this is a repentance that follows justification, but is prior to sanctification. So yes, yeah, so it's like when you repent and become a Christian, you're like repenting of who you are as a sinful person. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I am turning yeah. from this person that I am, and then yeah. in this subsequent repentance, this is now I'm repenting for the sinful attitudes or actions that I continue to fall into. Even though I don't want to, mm-hmm. it's not who, it's not who I am mm-hmm. anymore, but it's these like remaining sinful actions. And so we are in a state of like, I'm repenting from these okay. things. So mm-hmm. if we could kind of describe the first one as like a change of identity mm-hmm. and the second one is more of a failing to live up to your identity. Yeah. Subsequent repentance then leads us to, once again, to works suitable for repentance. So we're back to the practical 
works that are involved in this. Again, Wesley lays out three here. He encourages people to be obedient to the moral law. Number two, works of piety. So this includes prayer, scripture reading, Lord's Supper. They're both personal and corporate. These are ordinary channels by which God can give sanctifying grace. And then number three, works of mercy. And this is stuff like feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, entertaining the stranger, visiting the sick. And he says that these are in some sense necessary for entire sanctification. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in this state of like becoming like Christ and becoming holy, and there's these sins that remain in people's lives after they become Christians, similar to like coming to Jesus, it's something that God does in us by faith. But there are things that we can do to position ourselves in a place to receive that grace. So like what what can I do to like be free of the sin in my life besides just repent? That's like what Wesley is saying. What can you do to like allow yourself to position yourself to receive God's grace to make you holy? God's sanctifying mm-hmm. grace. Okay? So that you're not just having to repent over and over. Right. And so the things that we can do is we can obviously the first one was be like obedient to God, mm-hmm. um, we yep. have to continue to practice the means of grace. So I like, continue to stay in the word, continue to like be receiving the Lord's supper and mm-hmm. be doing these things that we know God has given us these things to receive his grace. So yep. be sure that stuff is happening in our lives. And then thirdly, be doing these merciful actions, these loving actions towards others that Jesus also said you must do as a, as a believer. Yeah. And so these aren't things that you do in order to earn holiness or like if I do these things, like I will mm-hmm. become holy because of these things. But they're things that position our hearts to receive God's grace to make us holy mm-hmm. and to free us from those sins. Right. And he would even say they're conditionally necessary for us to become holy. It's not that these things make us holy, but it's that God uses these things in our lives to make us more like him. Mm hmm. Now, the condition he lays out is uh, time and opportunity. So, for example, if if someone is converted on their uh, deathbed, well, they don't have time to start doing good works. Um, right. But we still believe that they... That's what purgatory is for. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wesley denied the doctrine of purgatory. Oh, he did? Uh, outright? Yes. Oh, okay. So, yeah, if time and opportunity allow, then he thinks that... Good works both um, after salvation and then this deeper step of sanctification are in some sense necessary for salvation. And for sanctification. Yes. Right. So that leads us then to entire sanctification. So what is entire sanctification? Entire sanctification is, to use Wesley words, Love conquering every vile passion and temper. The image of God is restored so that it reflects the goodness of the creator. All thoughts, words, and actions are then governed by love. Seems like a high bar. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. The result of entire sanctification then is freedom from the being of sin that we described earlier. This would be the one that we've talked about the most in up till now in previous episodes and things maybe not by name right so when we talked about a long time ago in an early episode about like uh the verse where jesus says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time talking about what exactly that means and 
Um, How it's possible. Yeah. And so that's definitely like Wesleyan concept of entire sanctification, which is also called Christian perfection. There's a lot of confusion around this term too, I feel like. Oh, why would that be? Um, Because when people, well, kind of like we talked about with the perfect episode, when people hear the word perfect, they think like completely flawless, almost like God. Uh, Um, Whereas that's not really what Wesley meant by it. And he outlined that pretty clearly. So with entire sanctification too, people might have this idea that you're saying like have ascended to sort of like a Buddhist idea where you've like become. Yes. Yeah. uh, Become complete. Yeah. Yeah. But I think this is also one of the most distinct and significant concepts, just like Mm -hmm. Wesley's emphasis on holiness in general. A lot of people, there's a phrase with Wesley that uh, it was a religion of the holiness of heart and life Mm. and um, entire sanctification, the concept that you can truly be free from the power of sin in your life Mm -hmm. and you don't have to sin. And so these are things that we talk about a lot at Harvest, at least, and true Wesleyans will talk about the actual power to be free from sin through the through the Holy Spirit and through uh, the grace of God, mm-hmm. where other traditions certainly don't think that it's possible to really be free from sin in that way. And I think a big thing that stuck out to me in this class was the emphasis on entire sanctification being a gift of grace through faith. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have this false understanding of it it kind of feels like the last step on a tier of like striving to reach sanctification but as an act of willpower right yeah willpower and striving um but no like it's a gift that that is given to us by god and i think that's why he talks about it can be instantaneous uh, because it's a gift however he admits that for most people it is a process but then it is a qualitative change when it happens. So there's a quote I like from Wesley that says, he says, uh, dying may take quite a while, but there will come a moment when you're dead. Mm. So there's both the process and instantaneous. Um, and, And in one of his sermons, he talks about, you can expect it by faith. You can expect it as you are. So expect it now. Like don't try to do anything or change or first, um, like pray for this gift now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of uh, comparison to salvation. Yeah, like there's a process often that leads people to salvation, but then there's a moment when you're saved, mm-hmm. and you don't have to. Like there are things you can do, people can do to like position themselves to like have faith in God and become saved, but they don't have to do that. They can be saved as they are, mm-hmm. and I think it's the same. That's right. Yeah, and those those steps about things you can do to position yourself is another thing I think is really key from Wesley because he emphasizes the works, what he calls works suitable for repentance like we talked about. Um, and it's really what Joel is saying, positioning yourself for salvation or for the Holy Spirit to work in your life. So it's kind of like doing... Hmm, Stay under the spell. In a way, doing... <laughs> Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, that works. Yeah, doing <laughs> works in partnership with receiving. It's like a collaborative effort. Yeah, which the the theological word for that is cooperant grace. 
So Wesley believes both in free grace, which is like provenient grace. We didn't do anything. God just gives it to us. But he also upholds cooperant grace, which is where we are co-laboring with God. Well, that matches a lot of the times in the Bible where God promises blessings and promises basically results from obedience. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you want to go to the last one? Yes. The final step here in our order of salvation would be glorification. And glorification pertains to what will happen to us when we step into eternity and are reunited with Christ. And we don't exactly know what that's going to be like, do we? So that's <laughs> the one that people might confuse with the sancti- entire sanctification. Yeah, a lot of people kind of have those conflated. They think that entire sanctification only happens at glorification. But mm-hmm. we think that can happen beforehand. Yeah, it's this whole idea of like, to what extent can you be free from sin in this lifetime? And, mm-hmm. and that's where there's some debate in different traditions. Mm-hmm. In uh, Wesley's sermon on Christian perfection, he starts it by talking about what Christian perfection is not. So he does this okay. a lot when he's explaining stuff. He'll talk about what it isn't. So he says, for example, like entire sanctification does not mean perfection in knowledge. Like we don't we aren't omniscient because of this. Right. Um, Christians are not free from mistakes. So you can still unintentionally do something wrong. Okay. Um, like, so say something that ends up being like offensive to somebody that you didn't right. think would be. He also says like they're not free from infirmities. So you might have like a sickness or a mental illness that causes you to, to sin in some way. Um, so anyway, I think those things are helpful in the di- distinction. Let's say that someone feels that they have been sanctified and they're able to live a holy life, but down the road they like backslide or something happens. Mm-hmm. Would that be considered that they they hadn't reached they hadn't been entirely sanctified? Or you know, it kind of goes back to that like can you lose your salvation type of mindset. Yeah. But, no, for Wesley he would say that you can fall from grace, like okay. any grace you've received, you can fall from that. Uh-huh. And okay. uh, so the entire sanctification is the, is the same in that aspect. Correct. Yeah. And so he points to like David with his sin um, and talks about like that whole process of what it looks like to start to entertain temptation and then deny the conviction of the Holy Spirit again and again and again until you finally mm-hmm. act in willful sin. And at that point, you're like turning your back on on the Holy Spirit in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So one thing that you just mentioned, Paul, is with like willful sin. Um, mm-hmm. Wesley definitely like uh, clarified what his definition of sin and what different types of sins were. Mm-hmm. And so the traditional like Wesley definition of sin is a willful transgression of a known law of God. Which, yeah, that's going to be different for other traditions. So that's really important. Yeah. So if that's what sin is, a willful transgression of a known law of God, then that's a much um, stronger sin than what some people say, just like missing the mark or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and that does not include will, uh, ignorant sin, right? Uh, 
So when we talk about entire sanctification, we're not talking about... Oh, so when you say a known law of God, it means known to the transgressor? Yes. Hmm. Well, so wouldn't that mean that people aren't sinning if they... No matter what they're doing, if they don't know what God's laws are? Well, if, if you don't... If you aren't aware that it's a sin, then it's not. Right. Yeah. But he would point to verses like God has written his law in our hearts. Uh, and like like, the natural law. And there's one about like seeing him and his fingerprints in creation as well. Uh-huh. This comes back to like, do people, are there objective moral values that like every society just knows yeah. to be wrong? And so that's important when you're understanding like the reality of, of sanctification. Like you can certainly get to the point where you're not willfully sinning against god as uh, dr collins i remember saying the sin of the high hand like mm. uh really a gr- like you are choosing yeah. to sin against god like making that cognitive choice and um that is something that should by and large be absent from the life of a christian mm-hmm. and then uh we ended with glorification but I know when Dr. David Ward was doing, talking about Ordo Salutis, he added uh, growth in grace after Mm. glorification. I like that. Which I think is really cool that there's glorification isn't just like an end, um, Mm. but there's continued growth in your grace and uh, knowledge of the Lord through eternity. Mm. Yeah. Anything we're missing as far as big Wesley concepts? Because that kind of wraps up the Ordus Ludus, but obviously it doesn't necessarily include everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't talk about baptism or communion. Um, just real quick, Wesley definitely like supported infant baptism and adult baptism because he was coming up from the Church of England, and that was the almost all churches would have done infant baptism at that time. And as you can uh, see, heavily implied in the importance of being earnest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And then in communion, he believed that Christ was present in the elements of communion, but that it wasn't like literally his body and blood like the Catholics. So like his spirit enters into the bread and the wine? Yeah, maybe not so literally, but like there's there's a sense in which Christ's real presence is there in communion. And he really pours out his grace when you take communion. And so it's more than just a memorial. It's not just like we remember what Christ uh-huh. has done. It's actually like taking his his body and blood in a spiritual way into you. And his presence is there. But his presence is supposed to be with us whenever two or more are gathered. Yeah, but there's also name. like different ways in which Jesus is present. I mean, he's with us all the time, technically. But then he's also with us in a deeper way when we're together in corporate worship. And obviously when we're in heaven, he'll be with us in a deep, deeper way than he is here, even though he's with us all the time. Mm-hmm. So... Oh, we didn't talk about like free will and predestination. Not much. Really, but Wesley was really big on free will and wrote a letter or something called Calvinism Calmly Considered in which he had uh, some what we would consider not so calm words toward the Calvinist <laughs> doctrine. <laughs> um, but then again, he also said that his theology was, was within a hair's breadth of Calvin's. So hmm. it's nice mm-hmm. uh, concession. The world they lived in was very... Uh, they were aware of their similarities a lot more than their differences. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and the last thing that came to mind for me is the um, phrase, is that, is it from Wesley about like, I don't know if it's from Wesley or if it's just like attributed to like Wesleyan theology. that uh, is like um, all, the one about like all need to be saved, all may be saved. 
all may know that they're saved and all may be saved to the uttermost. Hmm. Are you familiar with that quote? Mm-mm. No. So it's not an impossibility for everyone to get saved. Right. Good. So let's do a quick recap then of the order, order of salvation, the Wesleyan order of salvation. So we started First, with... Con- we started with creation. started with you're in your sin. Uh, we started with creation yeah, and, fall, and technically, but... And the fall, but that's not part of the, is it? Just being in a fallen state is where you start from. But your moral part is is only partially fallen or is, is marred rather than completely ruined. No, not... Yeah, moral. No, that one is destroyed. The other two are marred, right? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> we started with the fact that humans are created in the image of God. But they oh. fell, and so the image has been marred and, and destroyed. The moral image is destroyed. Oh, so total depravity is where you start? Right. But not as total as the Calvin total depravity. Well, it's the same, but then the next thing that happens... Prevenient grace. Right, and so because of the prevenient grace, total depravity for Wesley is more theoretical than practical. Nobody actually lives in that state of total depravity because God's grace uh, comes. Everyone before. has, yeah. Everyone has access to the prevenient grace, right? And so, through prevenient grace, God has enabled our free will to be able to choose Him and to be able to understand our need for Him. Yeah. So that brought us to be convicting grace and then repentance, right? Uh. And then work suitable for repentance. And then the big one, justification, justification, the new birth or which is also called regeneration and justification is freedom from the guilt of sin. Right. Yeah. For justification, what God does for us in removing our sin, Oh, right. freedom from the guilt of sin. Then regeneration. regeneration is what God does in us in allowing us to be holy. Okay. Well, can we be saying numbers with these like one, two, like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so number one, prevenient grace. Uh, yeah. The grace no. that comes before. Total depravity. Let's start at prevenient grace. Oh, okay, okay. So for, we have total depravity. And then number one. Because total depravity right, right, right. and all that is more the condition we're in when we're born. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so number, number one, one is prevenient grace. Part of prevenient grace is convicting grace, repentance, work suitable for repentance. Number two, justification. Oh, okay. So all those are just part of number one. Pretty much. Okay. Justification is what God does for us in forgiving our sins. Freeing us from the guilt of sin. Exactly. Yes. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Number three is regeneration or new birth or initial sanctification. All three of those terms mean the same thing. And that is what God does in us in allowing us to be holy. Yeah, which is freedom from... Freedom from the power of sin. Okay. So at that point, we are children of God, can come boldly to the throne room. So under regeneration, we have assurance. And then number four is sanctifying grace. And so underneath that, we talked about subsequent repentance and once again, work suitable for repentance. Good. Leading to number number, five. Yeah. Which is entire sanctification. 
Entire sanctification being freedom from the being or the dominion of sin. Heart purity. Sweet. And then six, glorification. Glorification. And then we'll have to wait until we get to heaven to learn the next 10 steps. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we know how what Wesley thought, what many faith traditions, including our own, has taken from it. And you can, one thing we did not take from it was his whole thing about how you have to wake up at like 5 a.m. and stuff and things like that. <laughs> yeah, especially from our dad's line. He is very avid against early mornings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Wesley was sure an advocate of waking up early and praying and fasting twice a week and all that. But I feel like a lot of people who wake up early take naps in the day. Which I just recently heard there's a correlation between napping and earlier strokes what (laughs) i do not take i take very sporadic maybe like once in a month or something yeah i usually just drink coffee i don't know if that helps or not i guess it helps well shall we end with a quote from wesley's sermon on the scriptural way of salvation yes and before you read that quote let me say all of wesley's sermons are available online for people if you want to um, read one like the scriptural way of salvation or Christian Perfection to get a a handle on what he actually said. Go for it, Paul. Read the quote. All right. Here it is. As he talks to us about pursuing holiness and entire sanctification, John Wesley says, Look for it then every day, every hour, every moment. Why not this hour, this moment? Certainly you may look for it now, if you believe it is by faith. And by this token, may you surely know whether you seek it by faith or by works. If by works, you want something to be done first, before you are sanctified, you think, I must be or do thus and thus, then you are seeking it by works unto this day. If you seek it by faith, you may expect it as you are. And if you are, then expect it now. It is of importance to observe that there is an inseparable connection between these three points. Expect it by faith, expect it as you are, and expect it now. To deny one of them is to deny them all. And allow one is to allow them all. Do you believe we are sanctified by faith? Be true then to your principle and look for this blessing just as you are, neither better nor worse, as a poor sinner that has still nothing to pray, nothing to plead, but Christ died. And if you look for it as you are, then expect it now. Stay for nothing. Why should you? Christ is ready. And he is all you want. He is waiting for you. He is at the door. Let your innermost soul cry out. Come in, come in, thou heavenly ghost. Not hence again remove, but sup with me and let the feast be everlasting love. Hmm. It's a little rhyme at the end. Yeah, it's from maybe a song or something. Not sure. Mary Charles wrote that. Maybe so. <laughs> <laughs> and it does look. It might be from an actual song. I bet if we if we were more uh, probably is well versed in the hymns, we might recognize what that line is from. All right, be encouraged. <laughs> Go yep. in Talk to you guys later. <laughs> Daniel has church. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know. Have <laughs> fun. <laughs> uh, I wish I didn't. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> After all that. <laughs> all right. Bye. Uh, I want to sleep. All right. So quick tidbit for those still listening. 
when we recorded, when we started recording this episode, it was nighttime for Daniel. And then he slept an entire night. And when we finished it, <laughs> it was morning for Daniel. That's the magic of editing. And still not enough sleep. Joel and I have been going the whole time he was asleep. <laughs> you may notice that this episode cuts out all that junk. <laughs> <laughs> without yeah, so the what would you call me am i the am i the rudder am i the tiller what's the one that steers the ship anyway without my stabilizing presence they just wasted a day all right until next time all right bye